Welcome to Winning at Work, the podcast for foodies, founders, and food and beverage professionals. You know, if you wanted to discover a new brand, a new food or beverage to try, there are literally thousands of companies out there. It is very difficult to do that. That's why we curate the different, the better, and the special brands here each and every week so you don't have to do the heavy lifting. If you're a founder and you're looking to connect with other like-minded executives, we make that very easy. And if you just work in the food and beverage industry and you're looking for fresh inspiration, we have that here in spades. This episode is sponsored by Temple. Congratulations, you're selling in retail. But the competition is fierce and your brand is surrounded by similar products. How will consumers find you? Let Temple show you an innovative retail sales solution. Click on the Attract Consumers link below. Need to attract great employees? Click on the Hire Now below and we'll show you how to use your culture to help you stand out. Stay tuned for this week's episode. Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. This is Tony. I think one of the bigger, big, big questions that a lot of food entrepreneurs have is, okay, how do we get started? How do we get into retail? How can we make our product taste great? I, there's so many there's so many factors that an entrepreneur has to deal with when they're trying to launch a product. And I have to say, recently I was sent a fantastic, beautiful sample box. And this was a huge box of Carbless. I'm going to get into this here in just a minute, into the, the, the flavor of it. Um, and today I've got Adam Croner, and he is the, he's the president. He's the co-founder with his wife. You have to understand... So many products are born out of necessity. So several years back, like many of us, we go through phases when we have to go on a diet for different reasons. Uh, he and his wife, Amanda, they were on a diet, one of those low-cal, low-carb, I call them those awful diets. Those are probably the worst that you have to go through. But their challenge was, look, they, like a lot of people, they want to have a nice beverage, Right, they want to kind of unwind, you know, and enjoy a cocktail of some kind, but they just couldn't find anything that really fit into the diet plan. So, like any good, curious, hardworking, ambitious people, they kind of set out dabbling, looking around, trying to find something that worked for them. And of course, most things taste like crap with low carbs or you know low sugar. And that was the beginning of their origin story, their, their journey into carbless. Adam, I, I'm really, really excited to have you today because you're like, everyone is talking to you on LinkedIn, trying to figure out how in the heck you guys are making this fantastic, great tasting product, which by the way, hold on. Just got oh, a little splash on the laptop. Good. Here too. I'll crack one too. This is, um, this is the pineapple. The vodka cocktail, the pineapple, um, zero carbs, zero sugar, hundred calories, gluten free. You know, when I see a ta- when I see a label like that, I think, okay, it's not going to have any flavor. Uh, that is not the case here. It's usually the joke, though, right? Zero carbs, zero flavor. <laughs> now I know you guys had do some pretty interesting things with your formulation. So, what is it about? reverse osmosis purified water why 
I, I know a little bit about that process, but why? You know, what is that for the foodies out there that like to kind of nerd out a little bit? What is that exactly? I mean, ultimately, uh, it is stripping everything from the water, um, any minerals that that may be inside of it. Uh, when you're when you're talking to certain places, um, you know, depending on your geography there may be benefits to the minerals that are within that uh, particular water source. Uh, that is a very good sell story. Quite frankly, the, the challenge that we would have as a business, though, is if you really want to scale, do you want to focus on having the water that comes from the mountains of Idaho? Um, and where, where we were at is we needed something that was clean, consistent, and we could go from market to market and scale it and change it. And uh, that's that's what uh, a good reverse osmosis system will do is it'll take out basically everything within that water to the point where it's just clear as a bell. Uh, I see. So that's one of those strategies that it just you don't. That's one less variable you have to worry about. You yep. you know you got a nice clean kind of nice clean product. There are a lot of different sweeteners that you can use. Now you guys have gone with a stevia and sucralose, and I have to say I don't taste them at all. <laughs> Honestly, when I get these drinks, I'm thinking, gosh, I'm going to taste that aftertaste. There is none of that. You, you've you yeah. tapped into something. And what's interesting, you're not even coming out of the beverage background. I mean, you don't have beverage. You're an operations guy. You were, uh, you know, head of manufacturing. You were plant manager. You're the, you know, lean Six Sigma guy. Let's squeeze every ounce of productivity out of out of our plant. So. Did you realize you had this magical <laughs> chef um, quality there, or or maybe your wife gets a little more credit here? Uh, the the uh, I will give my wife full credit on like everything on this can. Um, she she's the the name the can. My daughter actually designed the font, but um, I was the original mixer. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, the one thing that I find when I talk to new entrepreneurs now is they all think just as as we did, oh my god, I have this gap in the market and it's the best thing in the world. And we believed it to the core of us, right? And so thank you for for saying that, right? But how many people have been out there just like me, probably tens to hundreds of thousands that thought they had the secret sauce and quite frankly end up putting it on the market and the consumer doesn't agree uh or the product isn't executed well. Uh so, so it is I mean appreciate the the notion i think that's one of the biggest compliments we get um is i don't taste anything it's it's just a smooth great tasting drink right and it's uh for us it makes it a heck of a lot easier to sell i'll tell you that i hear this a lot i don't want to drink my calories now i personally don't mind that because i want something that tastes good i don't want to have that weird chemically taste at the end so if I have to take a few more calories for it to taste good, I'm okay with that. But that's what's kind of cool about this. And now, now you've got, are they all 5% AB, ABV, roughly 5%? Yeah, if you're looking at the side of the can, I'd say that's going to be all of the very consistent items. So all 5% ABV, zero carbs, zero sugar, 100 calories, gluten-free. Uh, that will be the carbless mantra for the foreseeable future um, for any big line extensions. So, yeah, but it, it tastes good. I like the lower. I mean, is that considered lower alcohol? That seems lower to me. For a, a canned drink, it seems to be kind of regular. Like, uh, I, 
we we are considered in most markets we're considered a low abv alcohol mm-hmm. um to your point though tony it's what are you comparing it to if you are sure. comparing it to a beer well a uh bush light miller light those are i believe 4.2 percent abv so it's almost one point higher if you're looking at it as you know your uh straight up vodka bottle that's 40 percent abv yeah it's it's pretty low compared <laughs> to that um, all right you would have to pound uh, quite a few of these um when you're talking to consumers how do you describe this what's What's the feedback? Maybe how, if you were doing a tasting. Yep. Here's the funny part is I have probably personally sampled about 15,000 people at this point, um, maybe closer to 20,000, have done a ton of distributor meetings, and I give the same description every single time. And what I wonder is, if you weren't looking at the can, how much would that description change in your mind? Because exactly what we said earlier, everybody's looking at zero carbs, means zero flavor. It's a tall, white, skinny can. I know exactly what's in there. But now to answer your question, Tony, the way that I describe the product is it is a cocktail in a can. So would you drink a vodka cranberry? Would you drink a vodka lemonade? Would you drink a a margarita? Yeah, absolutely I would. Well, we put it in a can. Now, the one difference is that anybody else that puts it in the can, if it's a vodka cran, it's 250 calories, 25 grams of carbs, 25 grams of sugar. If you put a margarita in a can, it's going to be 350 calories, 40 grams of carbs, 40 grams of sugar. The only difference with our product is that it is zero carbs, zero sugar, 100 calories. But as soon as I bring up the zero carbs, zero sugar, we are almost mentally trained to think, well, it's no longer a margarita. It's not going to taste like a margarita. But as you've experienced, Tony, it does. Well, and everyone I've shared these with, they they've all said the same thing. So you're twenty thousand. You're twenty thousand and ten, okay. In terms of sampling, because everyone <laughs> in my family, um, my daughter who is of drinking age, she enjoyed them quite a bit. So it was kind of funny. I was on your website, or maybe it was LinkedIn. I'm not sure because you do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn too. It says carbless. Please don't assume we are tasteless simply because we are carbless. We are maltless and flawless and not flavorless. That's kind of bold. You're flawless. I kind of like it. I kind of like the attitude, a little cheeky. We're working on trademarking that too. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. I like it. Well, you know, you're a very, you're a very focused guy. You know, I, I, I've, I've seen that in you the few times that we've talked, you know, I definitely get that. You had something on LinkedIn recently that really stood out to me. Um, And I want to talk a little bit now about what a lot of the founders are struggling with or dealing with, you know, in their daily journey, right, is getting them, you know, getting to market, refining their go-to market strategy, you not coming from the beverage world. I, I think that does give you an advantage in a way because you don't lock yourself into this is how it must be done. Um, you wrote something on LinkedIn recently talking about focus and the power of focus. And I'm not going to do I'm not going to go through them all. I can detail, but you mentioned clarity and differentiation, expertise and mastery, consistency and trust, resource optimization, brand association and recognition. You know, you seem to have this kind of unique sales and marketing philosophy. Would you say this comes from your Dale Carnegie training? Dale Carnegie is definitely a, a part of all that. 
I I would say the focus is is a mixture of two things. One, uh, there's a book called The Power of One uh, that just talks about focus. And I'd say then I was trying to line item some of the subsets. And then my wife, because the way I like to describe our relationship is I am a kite floating around in the wind. And my wife is the rock that tends to hold me down. She lets me float, go back and forth a little bit, uh, but ultimately doesn't let me fly away. And when you take that post and, and if you were to granulize it as uh, you know an entrepreneur, when I look at our product lineup, uh, we had these flavors, right? And we were very intentional about what we did and when we did it. We launched our margarita last year. Will the carbless consumer view us as a cocktail? Now, originally, I made a vodka lemonade, vodka cranberry. I saw that as a cocktail. But it's accepting the reality that the consumer sees me as a color and a flavor. It's the red one, cranberry. It's a purple, black raspberry. So from a dif differentiation perspective, let's now differentiate and become a cocktail. And that's when we, we now recently launched the cocktail pack. The focus thing, I will say, goes back to, I, I really believe, one of the many reasons why we're successful. Entrepreneurs in my shoes, and I talk to them very often, are we are, we are burdened with the desire to just go big or go home, right? Well, uh, where do you live again? Uh, East Coast, I'm in right? North Carolina right now, temporarily. Okay. So I would tell you that North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, I probably get around in a year's time anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000 messages that say, Adam, you should sell in North Carolina. It's going to sell great. You should sell in North Carolina, South Carolina. It's going to sell great. I can get you in all the chains. Uh, it's, you know, super simple return on investment. Adam Carveless is great, but I don't want to drink booze all the time. Can you please make an NA version? I know people would, would, would buy the crap out of it. Oh, mm -hmm. you know, you have a really smooth vodka. Why don't you have your own vodka? Those are all really great questions. And those are all things that as an entrepreneur, I would love to do. Realistically, though, I know that we sell to 6% of the U.S. population. And in the last four weeks, syndicated data will show you that we are the number 11 selling ready-to-drink cocktail in the entire nation on dollars, selling to only 6%. But it's because we're focused. And when we look at our, um, our rate of sale, we're, we're to the point now where we're in some of these markets and we're selling into D, D accounts, right? Just from a volume perspective. You would For assume your rate of sale... Um, it, so it's just basically based on volume. So let's say as a distributor, your A account does a thousand cases a year, and then your B accounts do like 700 cases, your C accounts maybe do 500 cases, your D accounts do 100 cases. Total as a portfolio for a distributor, right? So your, your total wines typically are an A account in every single, uh, every single market that you would go into. Right. And so... Because we continue to saturate the distribution, we're getting to these D accounts, and our rate of sale has not decreased, even in Wisconsin, where we've been for four years. And that's part of because we're not fully, we'll call it saturated or matured within the market. But now when you think about that, if we're number 11 at 6% of the population, where should my focus be? My focus should be on the core that's working really, really well. And I'm fairly consistent at some point. There will probably be some type of um, like a case study written about how we did this with so little. And that's why 
I talk about focus because everybody, they want to grab another state because it pads their P&L. They might have only sold 100 cases and, oh, I'm in this many states. Well, did you ever sell one good? Because if you didn't, why are you going to the next one? It's only for that, honestly, the entrepreneurial like adrenaline rush of, I got another state, I got another store, I got... If you take yourself out of it and you do what's best for the brand, I think most people would probably do about 10% of what they're doing right now. Well, it sounds like you have maybe a different metric, maybe a different way of measuring success. You're not just trying to open doors. I look at economic impact. Okay. So when you look at economic impact, you can look at that from the distributor, the off-premise, the on-premise being bars, restaurants. How much money am I making them? Because if I can be really good at economic impact, we kind of tie ourselves into the community, right? You can't do that if you just sell them a case. If they don't sell that case to a consumer, you've done nothing. You've opened a door, pat on the back, Mr. Entrepreneur or Mrs. Entrepreneur, but you haven't done anything for the economy, only yourself. So if you really focus on what am I going to do to do the best for all of my partners, because they're the avenue of how we sell the product, then you have to focus on one spot. And I'll be completely honest, that hyper focus makes it a lot easier when you start to expand because you've got the data set to start talking about it. Um, and you've, you've also at that point gotten the, the people who maybe came to a certain area and they went, went next door and now they can't get it where they're clamoring and it's becoming a word of mouth of, oh my gosh, I can't get carbless here. I'm sure you've heard of Spotted Cow in Wisconsin. They, they're they only in Wisconsin and we don't intend to do that, but uh, we very much get that uh, kind of, I would say, push. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this year we'll do about 120000 in revenue on online sales and uh, I spend zero on online ads. It's all because people tried the product in one of our 6% population markets and went somewhere that didn't have it. And then they go to, they go and order it online. Yep. So you're building better relationships. You're re actually helping your partners sell through. Yep. It's not enough just to sell it to the distributor. You want that economic impact. And I've had it, we've been doing some series on the podcast, how you support a brand in retail. Do you want to talk about that journey of maybe your initial thoughts of how you might support a retailer and what it's maybe evolved into today and, and maybe what, what seems to work for you? Yeah, um, that's been a heck of a journey. I bet. Um, we have a lot of very talented people on our team that, that have helped shape this for sure. So I, I am the nerd. Beverage, food, it doesn't matter. If you have really cool packaging and it, it speaks to me, I'm buying it. Um, there was a Wisconsin brand. I didn't know it was a Wisconsin brand at the time, but they had a IPA beer. It was like a white cat driving a 1970s purple Dodge Challenger. The cat's got like a tie-dye headband and the Challenger's doing a wheelie and the cat's hanging out the window on this <laughs> IPA beer. That is something I would buy. Because I'm like, if you're bold enough to put that on the package, which looks really wicked and odd and I don't understand it, so I'm just going to buy it and try the beer. Mm -hmm. Now, my original, good. Uh, yeah, beer was good. What what I thought though was, if I create, we we made a really good liquid. We believed we didn't know, right? We we wanted to self validate, but the consumer needs to validate that. 
And so we thought it was really great. And then we made this packaging that we thought was also really great. And it was meant to be this stark white with bold colors to really represent that boast of flavor. And it's, it was also meant to be more of a, a premium look, uh, which is why we went with the abstract art, because the current uh, the, the com- competition was either using no fruit or like real fruit. So we wanted to differentiate. But when you put that on the shelf, what my assumption was, is that people would see it and they're like, oh, that's different. And it's got no carbs and no sugar. And they're saying it's got flavor. I need to try that. So from a retail perspective, that was my assumption is that, you know, you start with this nice package, you you lay it out nice, and then people will pull it off and then they'll try it. And once they try it, well, then I'm good, right? Because that, that the product will speak for itself. Um, we've had really good organic growth like our, our entire time. Um, but without knowledge of it, my easy place to sell was bars and restaurants because I used to bartend. And then our first uh, market manager, she used to bartend. So our easy place was to go sell in bars and restaurants. Um, what we found is it becomes a really good sampling tool, which is very important for our product off-premise. We're not, we now have a selling avenue that the consumer gets to try our product for, we'll say, anywhere from 5 to $8 for one can. And psychologically, I can make zero cents of it. You can go get a four-pack for 10 bucks. But the consumer feels so much better about buying one for six, seven, eight bucks at the bar and deciding if they like it. And then they can go buy the four pack. But if they've never tried the product and they go sit and look at that four pack on the shelf, they're like, oh, 10 bucks. That's a big Isn't rip. that a weird psychology? I don't understand it, but I it's like they don't want to waste. It's like they don't want to buy something and then have wasted it and feel like they're wasting it. There's something about they can try one, they can finish it and you know, it somehow it just doesn't seem to bother them. So I think you nailed it though. I, I've I've always wondered why, but what you just said, they don't want to waste it. Yeah, that's I think that's what it is because it's like okay, what am I going to do with it? You know, I've got these other three that I just don't like, and people just don't like to admit that they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, you do a lot of good work. I think of keeping your your brand on LinkedIn. I saw recently. A, uh, a small cooler, small freezer. I think it was a bar or a rest. Maybe it was a bar, right? And you had a 12. A yeah, it was a bar. You had a 12 front. Every single so, one of our flavors. Exactly. Every single one of them. Now, is that typically the setup in a bar? Like, how does the consumer find it at the bar? What's, I mean, that's maybe a dumb question, but. Uh, well, every bar is different. Um, you see the sign I've got back here. Um, so that would be, you know, that's. Something that, well, let me back up on that point of sale. Before I started this journey, I just assumed if I saw a Miller Lite um, sign above a pool table, like, man, that bartender, bar owner really loves Miller Lite. And they they went and bought that. Like, I didn't know any different. Then you start to realize that you want your brand to be everywhere, but it is always on your dollar (laughs) Uh, and, and makes for not a really great return on investment out of the gate, right? But so from a visibility point of sale, um, we have different pieces of point of sale that associate to a given market or uh, or uh, establishment, meaning I'm a veteran, so we're veteran-owned. My wife is a woman, so we're woman-owned. So if I'm talking to a general manager or an owner that's a woman, 
she may care about the veteran owned and I can kind of depict that by looking throughout the store, but there's a really good chance that she will hold on to the woman owned fact. So we can use that in conversation, but we can also put it on our point of sale. If you're at a VFW, do you think they care about veteran owned? Yep. So it's, I think it helps the brand. It's, we don't ever want to use it to, I don't want it to be the reason, but quite frankly, if the liquid sucks and it's veteran owned, you don't care. You're not going to buy it again. Just because you might try it once. It's, right. It goes back to, it's got to taste good. Yep. Got um, it. So but, you just, so you have to focus on what the right appropriate POS is for the channel, for wherever you're at, depending yep. on the ownership or whatever that looks like at that bar. And, and the challenge comes into everybody has different standards. So the things that I'm usually looking at, and I know our team is too, when we go into, um, so we'll, we'll say this place that, that I put that picture up of, there's some places that they don't have a glass door. So you as the consumer, you can have to put yourself back in the consumer's shoes. How are they deciding what they drink? Do they have a menu? What other signs are around? Do they have different like neon boards that they're swapping stuff out? How do I as a consumer who's walking in here and let's assume I've you know never heard of Carbless or any other product, like how do I know what's available? Um, and so the ones that have the open cooler doors, obviously that works a heck of a lot better for any brand that's inside of there. But then there's some establishments that are like, oh, Adam, my doors, they're brown, they're black, there's no clear. And I don't allow any brand to hang anything up. So what do you do when you don't have that kind of visibility? What's the, what, what's the strategy at that point? So think about an Italian restaurant, just to kind of frame this up, right? Uh, or even a franchised restaurant. They want a Buffalo Wild Wings or a, a Olive Garden, and I'm making up names here. But if I'm picturing an Olive Garden or a Buffalo Wild Wings, I'm not picturing any brand. I'm picturing their you know, 90% very consistent structure and setup so that when the consumer goes in there, they feel comfortable. Yeah, so if you walk into like Joe and Mary's bar that's just up the road, uh, when I envision it, I see something that's got Miller Lite on it, hopefully a really big sign that has Carbless on it. I'm probably seeing Bud and Bush and Michelob, Jägermeister, Tito's. And so those, we have a lot of things readily available. Uh, but those Italian restaurants, the you know those, those franchise ones, it just ends up being trying to get creative without breaking the bank. So it's tougher. I mean, obviously it's tougher. You got, you got to play, play with their rules. Maybe you can just put something kind of fun on the menu. Yeah. And that's uh, sometimes it's the menu and they only want to redo that a year. So we can try to do an insert. It's and, right. and we've even done a few times where there's like no option. Well, let's let our team come in and train your staff because they're the best salespeople out there. So if that's we can go point. in and train your staff and they start recommending it, then the work is starting to be done anyway. Yeah. So there you go. So you just again, that kind of goes back to the sampling. Let the you know, let the staff sample it. I touched on this earlier that you not coming out of the beverage world, you might perceive or go after the beverage market differently. Um, would you agree with that? Like you don't, you didn't necessarily follow the traditional, or maybe I'm just, I'm just off on that. No. Um, so I, I refer to myself. Uh, I, I believe that really big companies think of consumers as dumb. Um, so I refer to myself as the, the, the dumb consumer who just really wanted to get this thing on the market. But my, my biggest fear when I look 5, 10, 15 years out 
is will Carbless ever be able to innovate like we have this time? Because at this point, I use data to make my decisions. Uh, so to answer your question, no, I, I don't think I would have attacked it any bit the way that we have um, if I knew what I was doing. <laughs> but it seems to have worked. Did you try to bootstrap this yeah. when you started? You did? Yep. Um, so my wife and I, we had a few rental properties. Um, we had, you know, been successful earlier on, but we sold everything to basically just make sure there was a clear runway. Um, I think we started it with 85 or hundred grand. Oh, uh, that was um, my next question. So started with that. We were able to get a $50,000 line of credit out of the gate. And then, um, I want to say four or five months in, we were able to extend that to a $350,000 line through uh, the SBA. And um, that lasted us until middle of 21, I think. Um, so about a year and a half, two years. Mm -hmm. uh, we eventually ended up bringing on an angel investor uh, one-time thing. Haven't had to fundraise since. Um, and yeah, have, have been able to build a, a really good, solid business. Matt Kovacs is not here. Matt Kovacs, he's done a lot of, uh, he's done several podcasts with me. He's a PR guy out in, out in California. He loves to do a rapid fire. And I was thinking in honor of Matt, <laughs> I'm going to ask you just a couple questions. And I'm just kind of curious. Tell us something that most people don't know about you. Hmm. I'm usually a pretty open book, man. <laughs> Uh, despite the fact that I look ravishingly young, uh, I have a 17-year-old daughter. And uh, when she was 12, she designed the font that's on our can. You know, you do look astonishingly young. Sharp, whippersnap. Yeah, I would never would have guessed 17. Okay. So there you go. That's one. Okay. Um, what advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur? Uh, I actually, uh, I have a trophy that was given to me by an aspiring entrepreneur because uh, this is something that I said to them over and over, keep the ball rolling. And what I like, that is as simplistic as you can put it, but it is a body in motion stays in motion. Uh, a fat person gets fat by sitting on the couch and not moving. A, in fit, uh, a fit person stays fit by continuing to move and you know put the right things in their body. As an entrepreneur, uh, I think the biggest thing is people have this in their mind that it's just going to be successful right away. And it's just keep freaking going. And so the ball is going to run down the hill. If it's a snowball, it's going to get bigger. Um, it's probably going to hit a bunch of bumps. It's probably going to slow down at some stop at some point. Um, but the ball will keep rolling. And if you can think about yourself as that momentum of, okay, I got uh, I got hit a little bit and I just got to keep moving or sidestep in order to get around that or, uh, you know, get hit less hard next time. Um, <laughs> that's that's really what it's about. And um, right. but I, I think the the ones that will really make it work are, are listening to the feedback within the market in order to to really accomplish it, because in the same sense, you can just you can keep working and and not not get anywhere if you're not listening to the market. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, if you can get that feedback, that's, that's fantastic. Now I know you touched on a book earlier, so this doesn't have to, so you can come up with a different one if there has been one, but, and it doesn't have, this doesn't have to be a business book. I'm just curious. 
the last absolutely great book you read? Um, going back to the power of one, I don't read many books. I read about three or four books over and over and over. Really? I know some, some yeah. people are like into YouTube, like they'll just go and, and digest, you know, stories that way. So I know there's people out there that do that. I, All right, so I, the power of one. So that's, that, that, that's your answer. Power of one. Um, no, it wouldn't be. Um, I, I still revert back to, uh, Dale Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people every single time that book changed my life. Um, I, I don't like to read. I'm really great at audible. Um, so I've probably listened to that book 30, 35 times in the last 10, 15 years. I need to uh, dust that one off because I, I, I did have it. I, I remember reading it a couple of times, but I can't say 35. So what, what stands out? Okay. So if you had to like, if, if you were my clip, uh, what was that for cliff notes? What was the name of that? Uh, Spark notes. Yeah. Give us the, the 30,000 foot view. You and I have uh, two totally different life experiences. Do you want to be treated the same way I do? That's, no. Uh, you're no. right. I mean, that's in other words, it's too assumptive. Yep. The platinum rule is do unto others as they want done unto them. That's it. And the so platinum. to really summarize it, it's taking yourself out of it and getting to know and understand that person sitting across the table or next to you so much to the point that you're doing things for them that they desire, not because it's what you think is best for you or what you would desire, but it's because what's best for them and what they desire. If you can really get into what they want, give them what they want, you'll be far more successful than the spray and pray. Yeah. Uh, so for those people who want to go out and give this a try, maybe they're not in your market, in your you're kind of um, central right now, right? I don't know how many states you're in, but five, six yeah, states, kind of central. We're registered. Uh, we're registered in ten states, very central U.S. Um, we're geographically sold in about six, just meaning that we're not fully distributed in each one of those states. Um, but you can go on drinkcarvless.com and uh, click buy now and then it drops down and says drinks there is 36 or 37 different states that allow you to have liquor shipped to your door um so if you're in one of those states we're happy to ship it to you give it a try it is like i said it was um everyone loved it they really did and i think that's what always kept standing out to people only 100 carbs so 100 carbs not what, wait, what did I say? You said only 100 carbs, but. <laughs> it's only 100 carbs. It's, it's bound to taste good. Zero carbs, 100 calories. Uh, yeah, check it out. Carbless. Adam, fantastic talking to you again, my friend. Um, much success to you and your wife and your journey and your team. And uh, we will, you know, we'll do, I think there's more questions. We never got into the, the, the conversation about culture. I think what we'll do is we'll have you back on for a live stream and we'll do more on culture and how you team build, because I know you're doing some interesting things with your team. So stand by, we'll do that in probably four to six weeks, uh, schedules permitting. Sounds good. Appreciate you having me on.